excited to be with you guys this morning. I'm going to start with just a little bit of prayer, and then we're going to jump in. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the privilege of gathering to remind my heart, to remind our heart of what is right, of what is true, and what is worth pursuing. How when we come on a long weekend, we have this extended opportunity where this is the beginning of summer and the celebration of all that is to come. God, it's right that we come in a moment like this. Fix our eyes on you. Like even as we celebrate going to the lake or being outside or seeing family or enjoying good meals, what we want to remind ourselves is true is, hey, it's in your presence that there is joy. In your presence, there's pleasures forevermore. So God, I'm asking you to come and make that real. I'm asking for you to come and do what only you can do, which is bring people to know you and help those who know you to love you more. May our hearts yield. If you're here and you have a faith, I'd love it if you took the next 10 seconds. Amen. Pray that God would use this time to strengthen your heart. If you would, please take the next 10 seconds and, and pray for me. Pray that it would be helpful and that my heart as well would be yielded. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today, and we thank you for the, just the privilege to gather and look at your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, y'all, hey, welcome to Springs Community Church. My name's John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. Man, if it's your first time and you're, in, and you're in from town or you're going tubing or whatever, the river brought you here, or man, you've been coming for a long time. Whether you are really close in your relationship with Jesus Christ, or if honest, you're hungover from floating the river yesterday and you're back to church because there was somebody in your group that kind of dragged you along, we're really glad that you're here. One of the things I want to spend the time talking about today is how does faith become more and more sincere to us? That's where we're going to go. But kind of the, the thing that comes to mind when I think about this, anyone here really enjoy watching the Olympics? Like, anybody really like that? I'm more like Summer Olympics type guy, right? Well, a lot of folks end up doing that. They love the, the backgrounds, the op-eds, all that kind of stuff. Well, hey, in the past two decades, if I were to ask you, who are two Olympians that amongst all the excellence, amongst all the athletics, amongst everything, who are two Olympians that have distinguished themselves? Right? I bet on your, on your list, if you would come to mind, but I bet there's two on there. Usain Bolt. Dude, I wish I was fast. I'm not very fast. Right? Usain Bolt, Jamaican sprinter. Michael Phelps, anybody? Right? Wheaties box, dude's like 6'6", wingspan of a small jet, feet the size of like shark flippers. Right? So Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt. So for those of you that don't know Usain, like he holds the world record in the 100 meter, the 200 meter, the 4 by 100 meter. He's won gold the past three Olympics. Michael Phelps is the most winningest Olympian of all time. He has 28 medals, 23 of them gold. Usain Bolt, fastest man alive. Michael Phelps, fastest swimmer alive. I want to ask you guys like a crazy question. What, what if I came and I challenged you? Hey, run as fast as Usain. Like, run as fast as Bolt. 
you'd look at me like, you're nuts. Or what if I came to you and I said, hey, jump in the pool, man. Here's goggles. There's Michael. You and him, tag the end. Or you can do 100 meters. Swim as fast as him. You'd look at me the way many of you now are like, that doesn't even make sense. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. There would almost be this sense of like, no, no, no. Seriously? Here's the reason. One, because of their talents, because of their gifts. But there's almost this sense of they are like these uh, superhuman people who have been able to do things in almost a way that's like mythological. Right? To where when we begin to compare ourselves to them, there's immediately this sense of, man, there's just no way. Now, if you're here and you're like me and you're not that fast, or if you're here and you're like me and you're an average swimmer, here's why I'm telling you this story. In the same way we can look at folks like Usain, where we can look at folks like Michael, and be like, man, that is ridiculous to even consider being as fast as them. I think we do the same thing with men and women who faithfully walked throughout Scripture. Here's what I mean by that. In the same way we can't really begin to compare ourselves to Usain or Michael, we begin to think about the faith of somebody like Daniel. If you don't know Daniel, he's a guy in the Old Testament. It's part of the book of part of the Bible, to where he has so much faith, this king says, I'm going to throw you in a den of lions. And he says, okay, throw me. And he's fine. Now, that's like crazy faithful. He had these buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they were thrown into this furnace, this furnace that's turned up, and they were going to be burned alive like flesh melting. You know what their answer was? Burn us up. Like crazy faithful King David, this guy, the one who we know who went to take on Goliath, like this, this monster giant. He's like this little guy. He's just got a sling in a rock. Like, you know how he prepared for Goliath? He ripped a lion's jaw open with his bare hands. What if I came to you and I said, be as faithful as them. Be as faithful as them. Be as faithful as them. I think in the same way where folks come like, dude, I could never run as fast as you sing. I can never swim like Michael. I think far too often, people who even have a sense of faith, like a Christian belief, Holy Spirit indwelt, we think about folks like that and like, there's no way. Seriously? There's no way. Like, I could go on. In the New Testament, there's this guy, Peter, denies Jesus Christ three times, then sees the risen Christ, comes out, all of a sudden is bold, courageous, telling everybody to believe. Folks are trusting Christ. Lives are being changed. Be as faithful as Peter or Paul. Paul, he's this guy, he was this terrorist turned missionary, most impactful missionary that has ever lived. What if I said be as faithful as Paul. I think here's what's true in your heart. If you, have, if you hold the Christian faith, it's what's true in mine. We tend to think, I know that like sounds right, but let's be real. I know, of course, but let, let's be honest. Guys, the reason I open with that is because I want to talk about today. Is because as I continue to look at Scripture, as I see what, what is true about God and what He has for me and what He has for you, is we should want more. Like, here's what I mean by that. Like, what's the difference? And we'll take the Apostle Paul, for instance. Apostle, big-time teacher. 
What was the difference between him and you if you're here and you believe? Right? The number one difference between him and you was he saw the risen Christ. That's a pretty big deal. Like he saw the risen Jesus. It's a pretty big deal. There were other people, though, in the New Testament that they say, hey, man, I could really believe if I could just see it. I could really believe if I could put my finger through the hole in his hands. And how does Jesus respond? Anybody grow up in church? Blessed are those who believe without seeing. So even Jesus is like, well, you don't really need to see me to believe this. So what's the difference between you and, again, Paul? You have the same Holy Spirit. You have just as much of the Holy Spirit. He had everything he needed for life and godliness, church. We have everything we need for life and godliness. He had gifts that took him in a certain path in a certain way. You have gifts that take you on a certain path in a certain way. I'm not talking about recreate what he did. I am talking about, do you think God wants to be just as intimate, just as well-connected, have just the same sense of family and fellowship with you as he did with Paul? I'm here to tell you, absolutely. That's exactly what a good father wants. And the reason we're talking about this is because so many times when you share something like that in a Christian setting, there's this response of, seriously? Like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I, I know David was faithful and he went to Goliath. But David going after Goliath, like, man, you, you wouldn't want me to talk to my neighbor. Like, my neighbor, even though it makes me feel, and here's what it is, here's their stance, Right, or Daniel remaining faithful in the midst of positional leadership saying to him, change. No, nah, man, you don't get it. Like if my boss knew that I went to actively share my faith at work, it may not go well. Like it'll probably go in my permanent file. Add that to your permanent file, Christian. Like I, it could talk to me about, hey, this could impact your job. Maybe you need to let it impact your job. We have this sense of like the way they did it and we compare it to us, we're like, Seriously, no way. I believe, as Scripture says, God wants to take our disbelieving, doubting, no, no, that's for them, not for me, seriously, and make it, no, no. Seriously, sincerely, deeply, with all of you, with your whole heart, all in not holding anything back. Why? God wants you to know all of him. Is he wants you to give him all of you. It's because of that we're going to start a whole new book of the Bible today. We're going to spend our time working through this book because really we're going to examine a few different things. But we're going to work through a book where the author, and we're going to check out some of them today, where the author is going to make these statements where when you and I really begin to look at what he's saying, we can't help but stop and say, seriously? Like, no, no, but, but really, man, what do you really mean by that? Hey, you can't actually think that that's possible. Like, you can't actually think that I could live that way. And throughout the letter, the author, he'll plead with you as he pleads with me, no, no, no. Seriously. The book we're going to be working through is Philippians. It's written by the Apostle Paul. 
It's a phenomenal letter of, of encouragement, of celebration, of thanksgiving. And throughout this letter, you see these statements that if we don't stop and honestly have a, a sense of, seriously, Paul, I think we're lying to ourselves. I think it's inauthentic. And what God wants to do in my life and what God wants to do in your life is to take our doubting, disbelieving, seriously, and make it. No, no. Seriously. So before we really begin to work through the book, here's what I want to do today. I want to do something a little different. I want to almost take a bird's eye view over the book. Now, I've done this multiple times where we started with about 30 different passages that I wanted to pull out, and then we never would have left here, right? And I narrowed it down to 12, and then we never would have left here, and then I narrowed it down to six. We're just going to look at six verses. We're not going to fully teach through them. If you want to hear them taught through, come and join us in the weeks to come. But what we're going to do is we're going to stop, and we're going to simply see, seriously? As our heart prays, God, would you make that serious to me? Would you make my faith one that is marked like that? Why? Because church, that is what we all want. The amazing thing here is especially too, like, like if you're working through faith or you got dragged because it's Memorial Day or, or you don't really like Jesus but you just come to this because you're supposed to or your wife dragged you, your husband dragged you, there's something in the Christian faith that leads to change and it's when you put Jesus at the center of everything. Jesus at the center of everything is what takes a doubting, disbelieving, seriously, and makes it a sincere, full-hearted, no, no, seriously. And so as you come and you think through this, you got to see there's a, there is a huge difference between, yes, I go to church on Sunday, and every now and then occasionally when I'm with family, like we kind of pray, therefore I'm Christian, huge difference between that and no, no, he's transformed my soul I'm a different person. I was a sinner in need of saving, and he saved me by faith. I didn't do anything for it. I just believed I was in need of it, and it changed me. And we'll see what happens in the hearts when folks come to believe that. To set up kind of where we're going, the book of Philippians, it's, again, it's written by the Apostle Paul, Apostle Big Time Church Letter, Church Leader, excuse me. He writes this letter to church in Philippi. So Paul, he took these long walks, they call them missionary journeys. He ended up coming across Philippi on a second missionary journey. If you want to go read about it, it's actually what we're going to talk about next week. It's in Acts 16. He shows up through extraordinary circumstances. He ends up planting and establishing a church there in Philippi. Well, Paul goes on, he keeps telling other people about Jesus. About 11 years later, they think that's about when Paul wrote this letter back to them. These people he knew, these people he loved, these people he'd suffered on behalf of, that's when he wrote this letter. And he writes it from a prison cell in Rome. He's likely chained to an imperial guard under house arrest or there what would have been jail. So that's to set it up. So again, what we're going to do is we're just going to look over six texts and we're going to move through them a little quickly. We're not going to go in in depth. If you want to come and learn them all, come back. But what our heart wants to do is, is this what marks your faith? Like, if you're here and you believe in Jesus, every time we read these, is this something where you say, I say amen to this. May it be more and more in my life. Is it serious? Or are you a bit like, dude, I can't run as fast as Usain. Can't swim like Michael. 
So let's look. The first one of these, we're going to check out, it's Philippians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can jump around with these. We'll move a little quicker. It'll be up on the screens or a phone, wherever you want to check it out, or you can check your Instagram, whatever's easiest. First place will be Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 12 through 13. 12 through 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, he's talking about being in prison, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest, that's all the prisoners, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Like, so as we talk about how do we take our doubting seriously and make it a sincere, faith-filled, all-in, no, no, seriously. The first thing this guy's saying is, hey, hey, guys, I'm in prison, but don't worry. I'm glad I'm here. God is using this to advance the gospel. What he's talking about is there's almost this sense in Paul of, man, I don't know how else I was going to get chained to this guy, and this Roman imperial guard was going to find out about God. Thank God I'm here. I get to tell him. That's his attitude. No matter where, no matter the cost, no matter the chains, I'm going to tell him about Jesus. I freak out when I have to wait in line at the DMV for too long, right? Anybody see now new DMVs? They have like, hey, you can go get a ticket system and almost go there. Why? Because I don't want to sit in those rows of chairs just waiting. I don't want to have to endure the DMV. And Paul's sitting here and he's celebrating. No, no, man. Here's where I'm at. Here's how I'll enjoy this. I get frustrated. Anybody here ever get a flight delayed and get mad? You liars liars, right? Paul's the guy who his flight would get delayed, right? Where he has a layover, he's stuck in between, he gets pushed back eight hours, right? Where I would be there and I'd be like, oh man, I have no idea what to do. I'm so frustrated. How much Netflix can I watch? And where's the closest Cinnabon? That would go through my head. Paul would stop and say, okay, you gave me eight hours to talk to at least one person. Who do you want me to talk to? Church, my question is, like whatever your situation, your office, your circumstance, your stay-at-home environment as you disciple your family, the job and back-breaking labor, you're outside and you sweat, wherever you go, do you have a mentality? Use me here. Would you say it in prison? What if you were wrongly put there for your faith? I know every Christian says they would. We're all supposed to. But seriously, let's look at another. Let's look at Philippians, still in the same chapter, 21 through 24. This is the best summary of the book of Philippians. I cannot wait, this whole book, I can't wait to teach this. But this is one of those where if if you don't honestly stop and have a gut check, church, I think we're lying to ourselves. Philippians 1, 21 through 24, for to me, to live is Christ. There is so much in those four words. To live is Christ. And then what he says, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means if I'm still going to be alive, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. What he's talking about, I don't know what's better, to go and be with God in heaven or to stay here. And he's going to tell us what he thinks is better. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that 
is better. But to remain in the flesh, it's more necessary on your account. There's two major themes I just want to pull out. First, to live is Christ. Second, to die is gain. Paul's entire life circled around, revolved around, orbited around the truth of his mission. How do I love God more and help others love him more? Hey, church, that's not just a missionary job requirement. That is the call of every follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you work, where you work, what you do, if you're a student, if you're in elementary, middle, high school, college, grad school, no kids, two kids, five kids, adopted, empty nester, widow, grieving the loss. To live is Christ. Like seriously, seriously, when you stop and someone were to ask you, man, what gets you more excited than anything? Man, somebody asked me this question last night. My heart like wanted to respond with, no, I sincerely love telling people about Jesus, but I almost felt this like, hey, that's like such a Christian answer in your pastor, so it's super cheesy, don't do it. But here's what's true, I do love that. But you know what I'm also looking for? I'm totally looking for something else that I love to do. Like I want my version of, I want to get so excited for college football. Like right now, if you don't know, we're about 100 days out from college football, a little less than that. I got a good friend of mine to where he literally bought satellites so he can watch his team to where he even knows what to do in inclement weather. I'm not talking about like inclement weather at the game. I'm talking about like inclement weather while he's watching it on his couch with satellite in case it goes out. To where before the game, he has preloaded on the computer if there's clouds in the sky, okay, I click this button and then because the computer is linked to the TV and cable will go through that, I can watch the game. Now, he would fully acknowledge that's a little much. But man, part of me, I want my version of that. And that's not entirely wrong. But what's true is, is what do I really want to be known for? What do I really want to live for? Like, what gives me more life than anything? Like, like parent, is it living through your kid? Or is it, no, it's living for Christ? Is it, no, no, what I really live for is my job and the accolades and how I can do there. Is that what you're living for? Or is it, hey, my child is so well behaved, that means I'm an amazing mom. Look at the credit to me. Is that what you live for? Or do you live for? I want to know Christ. I have one life. I want to go all in. I don't want to waste an ounce of it. I'm imperfect. I'll stumble my way towards it. But I really want the type of substance and fellowship and intimacy that Paul would have had. I want that. And then, when death comes, I want to embrace that like a long-awaited loved one. My family and I, last week, we went up to New York City, visited family, had a great time up there, always enjoy. But here's what's true, at least for me, and maybe for you guys if you go on trips. No matter how wonderful the trip is, towards the end of it, you start to kind of almost gear towards, okay, I'm ready to get home, get back in a routine, get back in my own bed, all that kind of stuff, to where you can have, like, you can come back from an amazing, well, maybe not a honeymoon. If it's a great honeymoon, maybe not. This doesn't apply, right? But you can usually come back from a trip, and you say, man, I'm excited to go home to where we fly in, it's a long flight, we get in, it's like 11.30 at night on Tuesday, and I walk into the house, and I'm just like, oh, we made it. 
to die is gain. In the same way that I enjoyed my time in New York, but I couldn't wait to come home. That's what this life is if you're a follower of Jesus. Paul will go so far in a little bit and say, your citizenship is in heaven. Don't concern yourself with it here. Like one day, will your heart be as you gear towards going home? Will it switch with the same sense of, this is what I was made for? That's not Paul negating chronic pain. That's not Paul negating suffering and the difficulty and how that can go. No, he says, man, we mourn when we lose people. But seriously, it's far better to be in heaven? Or do you honestly start to think about it and you think, man, heaven, I just, I'm on a cloud, I have a harp, and I sing to God for all eternity. That sounds closer to hell. Is that what you think? P.S. I don't think you sit on a cloud and play a harp. It's a terrible view of heaven. We'll teach on that another time, right? But that's what I'm saying. There's this, seriously? Like Paul, really? And then there's, no, no. Seriously. Let's keep going. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 3. This is one of, hands down, the most convicting verses in your entire Bible. If you're ever looking for a verse and you say, man, I really want to grow in pastoral care. I really want to be a, a stronger contributing member to my community group. Like when they say things and I'm thinking through, how could I counsel them? This literally applies to about 90% of things. Philippians 2, chapter 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Here's what he's saying. There can be zero selfishness in you. Zero. Seriously? Like, like well, but, but, but what if they should treat me that way? Like, I love having this conversation, especially with, with married couples or folks who are about to get married. I'll use that as a better example. Because when they're about to get married, that's when it's like, man, this person has no problems. They are the best person. I don't even know if they've ever sinned. Y'all ever heard of rose-colored glasses? Yeah, a bunch of the folks who've been married a long time are laughing at that especially. Everyone else is like, yeah, our marriage will be different. No, no. If you get married, you will have trouble. It's in your Bible, right? But no, it's just this heart is they come and they approach it. And you say, what's the core crux of marriage? It's unconditional love. What does unconditional mean? No matter how you treat me, my love for you is not conditioned upon it. That's like where Christian marriages, you know what Christian marriages should die to? Our natural tendency to keep score. You do this in friendships, relationships, community groups. Well, hey, uh, community groups. Well, hey, I reached out to try to hang out with the group last time. No one tried to hang out with me, so I'm not going to try and do it again. I'll wait for them. That's selfish. Let's talk about marriages, right? Hey, I did the bath the last two nights. Hey, you got bath tonight. Man, I'm going to come. I just want to relax. Or, hey, I had a really long day at the office. Like, I don't want to come home and just go all in with kids and then do the dishes. Like, I'm tired. That's that. And then, hey, I had a really long day with the kids. No, you don't get it. Here, take them. I'm losing my mind. Nothing? He said do nothing from selfish ambition. 
seriously? The only way we do that is if we find our everything in one who gave his everything. I'm talking about Jesus, church. Seriously. Let's keep going. Philippians 3, same ch- or next chapter, Philippians 3, 7 through 8. This is another famous passage. 7 through 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I've suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. Here's what Paul's saying, but whatever gain I had, the context here in Philippians 3, he's talking about his position, his prestige, his reputation, his power, and his influence. He's talking about what he was known for, his accomplishments in a worldly sense apart from how God viewed him and his relationship with him. And he says, you can have all of it. I count it as rubbish, and I can't wait to break down what rubbish literally means. Because if I were to do that on a Sunday, I'd have to swear, and then I'd have to ask your forgiveness. So all I'll just say is I'll see in Philippians 3 when we talk through what rubbish means. He's literally saying, that compared to Christ, it's nothing. And he's talking about, there's this progression in it, man, I I give it up, why? That I may gain Christ. He's not talking about having lost his salvation, getting it back. Lost, got it back. Lost, got it back. That's not what he's talking about. Paul's talking about, I wanted more intimacy. I wanted more fellowship. I wanted a faith that I sincerely believed that actually changed me, wasn't just, hey man, let's come and check it out on Sunday. I hope the guy up there says something good enough to keep me entertained and then have me out on time for lunch. Forget the communication on Sunday, like the pleading heart at a bedside that says, God, would you help me to know you more? Seriously? He counted everything? Yeah. Let's keep going. Let's look at another one, Philippians 4, verse 6. We got two more of these, 4, verse 6. Man, this is another convicting verse. Uh, I mean, for other people, not really me. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. What if my child doesn't pass the star test and progress to the next grade? Pretty sure that's in anything. What if I don't get the promotion I've been working so hard for? Pretty sure that is in anything, right? What if, anybody watching the NBA playoffs? Okay, Milwaukee Bucks fans, what if Milwaukee Bucks don't make it to the finals? Instead, we've got to watch Toronto Raptors. Anything, right? It's kind of covering all the bases. But in everything, so instead of anxiety, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that's a requesting of God with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to him. What, what Paul is talking about is not that Christians can never have things that, that creep up and tempt toward anxiety. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the heart, as it drifts towards that, how do we shift to instead say, God, I'm not in control of it. You are. Like, what if we really live that way? What if you, in whatever financial situation you have, you honestly weren't anxious about money in the future. Your forever home, the next car, 
or if it's your rundown car now and trying to fix it. That yes, you ask God for what you need, and yes, he supplies everything you need, but anxiety was not something in your life that you, that I, became okay with. That's crazy. Seriously, you're talking like faith in Jesus can help me do that. Seriously. Let's look at one more. And man, there's so many that I wish we could have pulled and kept in here too. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. This is another famous passage, right? If you ever watch college football, if somebody has a Christian background, and I love Christian athletics and sports, they usually wear the light, they, they put like the black paste under their eyes. Someone, and I always think about who actually wrote it for them, usually writes Philippians 4, 13, like right here. No one's ever seen that? No Tim Tebow fans? Guys, we got to wake up or get more coffee, or maybe it's just too warm in here, right? We got to get something going. But okay, so Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Context here is so, part of the reason Paul's so thankful is while he was in prison, they came and financially, they brought him provision. They sent a guy on their behalf. This church made a collection for Paul and sent it to him. And so he's expressing gratitude right here. But, but he's saying, not that I'm speaking of being in need. And then listen to what he says. This is crazy. If you don't think so, you're not actually listening. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, but hear this. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I know how to be broke. I know how to be rich. In any and every circumstance, doesn't matter what situation, I know I can come and be content as I mourn beside the sick and the dying and the newborn. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Church, the last time I really saw I can do all things was in my, uh, my high school. They had this little gym section, like Philippians 4.13 was put up on this wall. A kid put it. The school didn't. It wasn't a Christian school, right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's like we read that and we think I'll be able to bench more, yeah. right? It's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about, like, you know how marriages, they go and they make vows in plenty and in want, in sickness and in health. Like friends, how you're supposed to have your friends back. When they're faithful, when they're faithless. When they're good to you, when they curse you. You're called to love them, call them in correction. You're called to be for them. It's that whole unconditional love thing that we get from our Savior and God in heaven. Paul's saying, not because he is amazing, but because he believes in amazing God whose power resides in him through the Holy Spirit. He's saying, yeah, with his strength, not mine, with his strength. I can get through that. I have found the secret to being content, church. If I were to do an anonymous poll of every single person here, like even if you don't even believe in Jesus and ask you, do you wish you were more content? Dude, that's a 100% yes right here. How do we not come and say, seriously? And then have a pleading heart. No, make that serious, God. 
having read through some of those, there's this theme that I want to share. I think so many times in my life, in your life, we kind of make this, this implicit, unspoken deal. No, Jesus, like, I believe in you. Thank you. I walked an altar or you recently changed my life some time ago. No, no, I believe in you. You are true. You are right. Hey, I do believe that when I, when I walk in your way, it brings blessing to me. How can I do that? I know there's some principles, but I don't really want to go overboard here. I don't really want to do too, too much. Right? I, I don't want to be the guy Oh my gosh, I don't want to be the family that shows up to pick up my kids at the Christian school and the other families say, oh man, they're really religious. They're really into their faith. All she, all he, all they want to talk about is what God's teaching them in their life, how they're learning to grow. Yes, no, I watch the game with them and they're actually really fun people. But then man, that is what they're doing. Or, no, 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 can you imagine if we really went all in? Because here's what I think happens. Our problem is not that we expect God to do too much in our lives, but we are content with far too little. Like, he wants to do so much more. And this is why so much, why I can't wait for Philippians, is going to be self-preaching. I want to die as faithful as Paul. I want to be just as intimate with God. I want just as much holiness, not because I'm supposed to, but because by faith, I really believe this is true. And by faith, he says I can imitate him as he imitates Christ. And by faith, I believe God views me as his son. And any good father wants an amazing relationship with every single kid. I want that. I want God to take my faith from seriously to seriously. So here's what I want to ask of you guys this week. Think through this. Pray through it in your own life. Is, is faith with Jesus like a category for you? Or is it all-encompassing? Is it like one thing or is it everything? It's church. He wants more of me. He wants more of you. And what awaits? Love. Peace. Considering everything is nothing compared to how wonderful he is. Not in like some cheesy Christian way because I'm supposed to say that. But because to the depth of my soul, the depth of your soul, we feel that. We want that to be seriously. Man, I can remember, and I'll close with this. I can remember the first time I saw this really lived out. I'd known Jesus about six months, and I had a chance. I went on a trip to Africa, right? I've shared a little bit about it before, but this was a leader that was a part of it. I can remember I went over there. I was a part of this church planning network where we would go out and share our faith, and then folks would get connected to a church, and there was always this pastor, and the pastor would shepherd them and develop them. And I can remember there was the leader of this, like, Africa, African. It was primarily out of Ethiopia, church planning network. I can remember there was one day where he told his story, and I can remember his story left me like, seriously? Come on, man. Like, that ain't true. There's got to be something else. Right, where he told this story where he, in so much of Ethiopia, if you know it, it's predominantly Ethiopian Orthodox, 
there is a strong Islamic population in his, his village, primarily Islamic individuals, Muslims. And he was there, and he wasn't a Muslim, but he and his family were kind of non-religious, if you will. He's in this village where through a tremendous set of circumstances, he comes to trust Christ, changes him. Different man. His whole family started to see the change. They weren't really ready for the change, but they started to see the change. And then because it's in a village, man, that neighbor finds out, that neighbor finds out, that neighbor finds out, that neighbor finds out, and he can't stop being changed in the reality of, man, to live is Christ. Seriously. So much so in this village, the police authorities in the town there, they came and they knocked on his door one evening. And they said to him, you have to come to the town center, the town kind of square, if you will, tomorrow at noon. You need to renounce Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you don't, effectively, you will be exiled and banished through imprisonment. You won't see your family. You will be done. They closed the door. They left. He's there with his family. He started to tell the story. Or he started to say, hey, that was when he turned with his family. And to the best of his ability, because he was new in faith, he started to cobble together passages where he looked at, hey, I think I need to go. I think I need to go to the town center. I think it's there that I don't need to tell them I renounce, but I need to tell them, no, I believe Jesus Christ. It's true, man. It's not fake. It's actually true. If you'll let it change you, it will. And then telling his family, I love you, but I love that. Next day comes, he walks to the town square in the center there, and obviously people are expecting him, okay, he's going to come and renounce. There's people there that didn't like really what he was thinking and feeling, so there's this crowd that begins to gather, and he gets there, and he goes and he shares, not some amazing sermon, not some big speech, but I believe in Jesus Christ. He changed me. I didn't deserve it. It was by his mercy. He didn't ask me to be a better version of me. He just asked me to believe in him, believe that he died for me. And it's from that, I want to live my life for him, magnify him through the broken vessel that I am. He showed up, man, and I can remember the way he describes it is like the guards there, the, the police didn't expect it. To where there was almost this like, I don't know what to do. Like he kind of called us on our bluff because they all knew each other. They didn't really want to fully imprison him. They knew his life to where they essentially looked at him and they said this theme of, hey, we need you to calm down with this Christian thing. Stop making such a commotion. And then we're going to let you go back home and think about it. He went home. He saw his family. Through all this, his family comes to Christ. The village begins to change. And this guy who was supposed to kind of almost, hey, keep it chill. Keep it quiet. Where I looked at him and I remember thinking like, dude, you went to town? I just would have packed up my family and left that night. Like, did you not see option three? Come on, dude. <laughs> That's brokenness in me, right? But he goes, takes his family, he changes the guy. They're supposed to be like, hey, keep it chill, keep it chill. What does he do? Starts a church planning network where he starts discipling pastors to be raised up, to go into communities, unreached people, to tell them about Jesus, where he goes. And I can remember meeting like his, his, the pastors who were under him, and they said, yeah, man, he asks us to share our faith five times a day. Five times a day, evangelize. And I can remember looking at him like, man, doesn't that seem a little legalistic? Like, check the box. Dude, wrong question to ask. He looked at me and he said, no. He shared what we all know. 
There are so many people here that do not know Jesus Christ. God wants them to know him, and he has sent us here to tell them. We all wish we had the chance to tell more. It's not out of legalism, it's out of love. Seriously? No, 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 seriously, dude? Because so many of them, bivocational, hey, you come home, for them, they get on a bus, like you're not tired, and you sit there at the end of the night, and you're like, all right, God, you're sovereign anyways, you can do this. Seriously? And I watched their faces as it was, no, 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 seriously, to live is Christ, church. We are going to look at the book of Philippians, and we're going to celebrate so many wonderful things. But here's the lens through which I'm pleading with us all to view it, that I want my heart to view it. I want to take every ounce of my doubting, disbelieving, seriously, and make it an absolute, by the grace of God, no. Seriously. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Let me pray, and then we'll get out of here. Father, I thank you for the truth of that. I thank you for the reminder in my life of what is right and good. And Lord, I'm asking you to come and do in my life and do in our life what only you can do, which is to take our seriously and make it seriously. We, we, we don't want to continue to hear about amazing things you're doing in other countries with people who are clinging by faith. We want to cling by faith right here and continue the amazing things that you are doing here. Father, we want to yield more of our lives to you. We want to know you more. I'm, I'm asking in my life that one of the marks, whenever time you take me to eternity, that is shared about me at my funeral, is that he had an intimate relationship with God. He was sensitive to what God thought. That was the primary love of his life. And I'm asking you to do that for every person here who believes in you. That that would not be something that we know we're supposed to do, but something we sincerely want to be about. And I thank you knowing that you want to help us do that. As a good father, always loves to raise up a son, to raise up a daughter. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, thank you all for joining us this morning. We hope you all go. Have a wonderful rest of your Memorial Day. If you want to join us for our Evangelism Say So class, we'll be in this room probably in about 15 minutes. I share that because you'll see some folks start to move some chairs. Don't let that force you out of the room, but that's kind of what's going on. All I'd say is, man, you all go. Have a great week of worship. See you next week.